Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning with Lyle and Minnie. <laughs> How are you this morning, Minnie? Look, I I felt like I was doing like I a, didn't a even boxes, mean for that to a, come out. Boxes, a boxes introduction right there. Um, yeah, look, I just I think my days are all turned up. So I, like, because I was here all yesterday, and I'm normally not all and, day. And so yesterday, I was like, That's "Is it dedication. Wednesday today?" Well, no. <laughs> you were doing radio all day. <laughs> yeah, I'm morning segment, but yeah. And so this morning, I was just all like, "Where are we?" I just, you know, you have those days that you just all. Your brain is okay, disconnected. Okay, and there's no radio tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. So, so you're here all day on Tuesday, which is just, that's different for many, and then no radio. Okay, so we will have radio. Oh, okay. But we won't be here. But we won't Robbie be here. Bergen will be here. Oh, cool. Don't with his new show. It's Ooh. a brand new show. So we're, we're really trying to uh, oh, that um, that's build up the uh, profile for that new show, and we will have no electricity. Brilliant, brilliant. So Newcastle Studio has no electricity, but uh, Queensland Studio, they're just smashing it out. So Robbie's coming on and he's just going, going to go hard. Hey, that's what I'd like to hear. Yeah. So for? Robbie's the new guy. Yeah. Um, currently operating out of Queensland because of COVID. Supposed <laughs> to be operating out of Victoria. Can't get in. Right. Probably doesn't want to get in. Mm. Probably. Let me stay as far away from that place as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to be the uh, next couple of days. So, yeah, you guys are going to be probably a little bit uh, – you, you can be glad we're gone. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> a special treat for a couple <laughs> yeah, of days. Yeah, might like this. You might, yeah, might like Absolutely. it. Absolutely. We will be back, though. Yeah. Just because we love you guys. We miss you guys. But it's a long weekend this weekend too, hey? Extra long for oh. us. For you and I yeah. and Liam, extra long. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, Minnie, tell us some positively different news this morning. Okie dokie. So, when a person retires, it isn't uncommon for them to receive like a farewell thing of some sort, like a gesture. Yeah. They get a gift, they get an acknowledgement, you know, like this is this is pretty, even when they're not like retiring, like even jobs that I've left, they've just done like a little thing. Whatever the thing is, however big or small, is something that all my employees have done. But what isn't totally necessarily common um, is when the boss gifts all his employees with something when he's retiring. No, so, that's not that's not particularly common. No, it's not. So Dan Stevens um, is retiring. He's been the boss um, of a company that he co-founded with his wife. Um, that's an insurance. I think I've got to be confused. I think it's something to do with insurance. Um, that began with uh, 57 people in 1991. Um, now there's about 7,500 people um, in Wales and 3,000 overseas, including the US, Spain, Italy, France, India and Canada. He's retiring and he's gifted in total about £10 million to all of these employees. That's significant. That's so significant. And uh, like obviously you break that down amongst all those people. So basically full-time workers only – well. It's still pretty significant. They got a thousand pounds each. Part time got um, five hundred pounds. 
So that's somewhere between say a thousand, couple of thousand dollars. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. That's 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 nice. That's so significant. That's very significant. That would be a nice surprise. Like, yeah, my boss is retiring. I'm going to get a new boss. You know, you always feel a bit nervous about that. Oh, Often, yeah. uh, when the new boss comes in, you know, you get a lot of people that are disgruntled, don't mm-hmm. like the changes. They move on. They do something else. Uh, this guy. He's kind of made it pretty hard for the guys that are following him, hasn't he? It's like, set the standard here. It's like, do you really want to follow this guy into this job? Oh, yeah. But it's kind of, it makes me wonder too. Like, obviously, this is his departing farewell thing. But I kind of think that's a bit of a, it must be a reflection of who he is. Yeah. And so it makes me wonder that maybe it doesn't come as a shock to them. I mean, you would still be like, whoa, this is amazing. Thank you so much. But because that's the comment he made, he, he was just like, um, he's, saying thank you to the staff and it's the right thing to do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but most people will say thank you. <laughs> they don't feel the need to add this as on as well. And so I'm just I – di- I couldn't find that much else about him, like as far as what he is like, but I'd, I'd be very interested what he would have been like to work for because I imagine he was someone well, – look, maybe he's someone who could have been hard to impress, but once you did, you were in for life. Like, I don't know. Um, that's a lot of employees. Though. I think I would have liked to have worked for this kind of person. I Absolutely. think he would be the kind of person in – if you're working in that company, you would feel valued. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you feel valued in a company, you definitely do your best work. Oh, always. Yes. And even when you have bosses, this is a bit sidetracked now, but I used to have this boss. <laughs> he was an amazing boss. He stressed us out endlessly. <laughs> because he was, okay. he was a com- amazing and stressed, not two words <laughs> that I often hear in the same sentence together. <laughs> no, he's, he was amazing. So I used to be a dental assistant and receptionist. Um and he was like, from the day I started, he was like, look, we, I want to build it up to be a high-end practice. Um, we are not going to have just like, you know how sometimes people will like talk over you as you're doing work or something. He's like, we're, we're doing none of that. Like we're not doing a whole, oh, hey, how's your weekend? How's this? And he just expected you to know if we're doing this procedure, this is what you need. Right. Not only that, but he was like, why do we do this? Why do we, why do we charge more for this? Well, because we're getting an Australian-made product, not one from overseas. Why do we do it this way? He wanted you to know all of the reasons why we did everything and so you could explain it to every person. Yes. Um, yeah, and he was just a very, very ethical, very honest, very um, wanted to be the best dentist and wanted us to be the best employees, not just for him. He was like, look, if you guys ever leave, I want you to be able to walk into any practice and people go, wow, this is the best we've ever had. So he Amazing. pushed us real hard, but from day one, and I was like, I don't know anything. And he would just, he wouldn't, he just trained you from the beginning. He would just stare at you if you gave him the wrong thing. He wouldn't tell you what. And I was like, I can't read your mind. And he's like, no, you'll learn. You'll learn. <laughs> and he would you just, just panic you. Handing, this one or this one or this one. Just start handing stuff yeah. until you get it and right. And I was just like, oh, but it, it made you like work really hard to be like, okay, let me, okay, he's changed that. We normally do this. Okay. And it did. It made it, you really a bit switched on. And so, uh-huh. yeah, so he um, he sold his practice to his best friend who they had been partners and then he stayed in, in Brisbane. And I just remember hearing that he was leaving because I'd already left by that point. And I just sent, sent, shot him a message. I was like, hey, like, I just want to thank you so much because you really um, – he put so much into us and developing mm, our skills mm. professionally. Mm. Um, he could have just been like, oh, yeah, you know, it's another day at the job and, you know, kind of – moan about us if we weren't doing right but he that was the thing he was he's like I will never um particularly in front of the other stuff I will never um talk badly about one of you and he never did and I was like anyway so amazing boss but stressed us out endlessly (laughs) but all of us well not all of us but a bunch of us were like if he ever was like hey we need you I'd be like I'm coming yes yes He's yep. like, I have your back. You need a person. I'm a person. I'll be the person that he, you need. He taught, like, you, he taught you how to show initiative as well. Absolutely. And, yeah. and to stay ahead of him. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the things that uh, it can be very frustrating on a work site when you're working with, uh, you know, apprentices and so forth, is that you're always asking for this, asking for that, mm. asking for the other, do this, do that. You're constantly giving direction, whereas he was training you to be able to actually just do it. Absolutely. Just think for yourself. No, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So your brain – so, so um, in, in the environment when you're always asking for stuff – you create an environment where the person who's being asked switches their brain off. Uh-huh. He was switching your brain on. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. What a great boss right there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we uh, got some religious liberty stories to talk about this morning. Uh, South Australia has uh, created some a, a whole bunch of prayer exclusion zones. In other words, zones within their state in which it is legal to engage in any form of prayer, including silent prayer. Wait, what? What? Yes. I mean, how dumb is that? How are they going to stop you from silently praying? How is somebody? How are they going to police this law? Yeah, what does anyone daydream? You know, like, are you silently praying? Like, um, and who's going to say, "Oh, yes"? Um, (laughs) I guess a Christian would confess, but because that's what you do—you tell the truth as a Christian. But seriously, laws that are impossible to police are dumb. Laws. Well, it doesn't make sense why they exist in the first place. Okay, so these are uh, in existence. These are 70,000 square metre zones around abortion clinics. So it's illegal to pray anywhere within the vicinity of an abortion clinic. Pity, you know, help you if you live next door and are a Christian. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you, what are you yeah, going you to gotta, do? Wow. Yeah. Is that because when people have gone and they're praying publicly, it's also quite condescending and condemning is that is that why no. is that the purpose? Well, basically what you've had is you've had um, you've had situations where people have set up um, support basically a, a support desk yeah in the vicinity of an abortion clinic where they have you know freely available uh, materials for you know adoption mm. and uh, funding uh, for parenting uh, you know private funding for parenting all of these kind of things and that that basically offer an alternative when somebody is considering an abortion. So you go along mm. to the abortion clinic, you think, you're like, I'm thinking about having abortion, let's go along and have a chat about this. And they're outside and they say, okay, this is the, you, in, inside you're going to get this side of the story, outside um, you can't, this is the alternatives that are available. There is there mm-hmm. is funding that is available if you are, don't have the finances to raise a child. There is uh, adoption that is available if, you know, if you're in a, that similar kind of situation. These are typically run by Christian groups. Mm. And so um, basically what this is is an attempt to squash any dissenting voice whatsoever at all and to ensure that there is the best possible chance of uh, that unborn child's life being taken. Man, man, abortion is one of those things that I actually, my heart really goes out to people who are going through or have been through that. Like, and, and, and this is the thing there is absolutely no compassion for the mothers that are going through this because they have basically a 100% depression rate after abortion. Mm. You know, name me someone who has had an abortion and hasn't suffered from depression, they, they just don't exist. Um, they have astronomically high suicide rates for wow. abortion mothers. And it's like, we don't care about this. Mm. And what it comes down to is this is a form of eugenics. Tell me again what that means. <laughs> eugenics is basically controlling the, um, the genetics of the population. 
So hey. there are some forms. So there are some portions of the population you don't want to breed because they are going to breed an inferior race, and so you only allow the superior races to breed. And so people who are foolish enough to accidentally fall pregnant in today's society, where there's no such thing as accidentally falling pregnant because there are lots of options for not falling pregnant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're like, well, if they can't figure that out, then we don't want them to breed. And so we provide as much opportunity as we can for them not to do so. Oh, now, this is not always the case. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. not always the case. And I just want to say right now that this is going to be a subject that's going to be really, really hard for a lot of people to hear right now mm-hmm. because I know I understand that a lot of our listeners have been through this. And uh, if this is something that triggers you, you know, give Lifeline a call. We understand the tragedy of this is the mothers that are dealing with the depression that comes afterwards. Mm. And this is why I'm so passionate about this is because it's just an area that we overlook. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's, you know, if, if you look at the United States as an example where you've got – you know, we've had the whole BLM issue recently. The real BLM issue is that the majority of, you know, African-American children in, say, New York are, uh, are aborted. Hmm. Population of the United States is – the African-American population of the United States is somewhere around 13 14%. It would be double that, you know, it'd be around the 30 40% mark if abortion didn't exist. Yeah, Interesting. Um, and, and so the rates of abortion amongst the African-American population are astronomically high. And so if we really cared about BLM, this is an issue that we'd be taking up because this is where the black lives are being taken. Mm. Um, I, it's, a, it's a hard one to talk about. It really is. And I didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole. No, but it is I meant important. to talk about prayer and mm. you know having exclusion zones for prayer and crushing any kind of dissenting voice. Yeah. You know this is this has really severe repercussions for you know things like simple things like freedom of speech and being able to you know freely speak and and and, and share your own thoughts and ideas. Oh, that's 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 heavy stuff. Okay, I need to move on. I need to talk about Victoria. So the great thing is in Victoria, big shout out to all of our friends in Victoria <laughs> as their uh, COVID restrictions start to ease. And so now in regional Victoria, uh, restaurants are opening, pubs are opening, bars are opening, schools are opening. And two of those, as in pubs and bars, uh, but we know are the highest risk locations in existence. Yeah, I'm sure we've talked about this multiple times. Yes. Like it's the thing you don't want to open. This, is, if this is the last thing you want to open again. Okay, so restaurants, pubs, bars, schools are all open and churches are closed. It's like, go figure. Wait, what? This is, this is, this is the government's hatred of religion coming through. That doesn't Just crush everything to do to with religion. Why? Churches are closed. Okay, so what you can do is if you can get a pub to sponsor your worship service, <laughs> then um, just give everybody a ginger beer and say, well, this is not a worship service. We're just, you know, have is there meeting a, at the pub. Is there a reason specifically? Yeah, like so you can have your worship service in the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just not the you church. You can't building. have it in the church. You can have it in the pub where you can drink alcohol and your inhibitions will be lowered, but you can't have it in the church. This doesn't seem fully thought out to me. Interesting. No, it is fully thought out. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And it yeah, is no, a direct yeah, attack. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. You're fully right. thought out. And and this is, you know, we have suicide skyrocketing in Australia right now. Uh, 
because of the depression caused by COVID and lockdown. Um, and, you know, in the past, churches have been seen to be critical to the health of a nation and they've stayed open through war, famine, plague, you know, everything else has happened. And we need to understand that our recovery in Australia is not just economic recovery, but it is social, mental, emotional and spiritual recovery mm. that we need to have if the economy is going to recover. Absolutely. Okay, um, while we were in uh, South Australia, we also need to mention that uh, they have proposals on, uh, on, on their books for uh, laws which would make it, make it um, illegal for a gender or sexually confused person to speak to a pastor. Yes. Laws for euthanasia and laws for abortion to birth, which is basically so long as you can keep one part of the child in the womb, I don't even want to talk about it. It's, ah, just, too it's just, just too horrific. Oy. Let's uh, let's move on. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning uh, for our weekly discussion on everything to do with emotional health is David Haupt. David, welcome to the show. Good morning to you both, and good morning to your listeners. We have a very important subject to, to talk about this morning, and that is the subject of immigration. Where are we going to start with this one, David? Immigration is a very interesting subject, especially as it relates to families and especially uh, marriages. It's interesting that um, people that immigrate to Australia or to any other country actually will find that their mental health is impacted within six to eight months. And a flow-on of that is then marital discontent and often addictions and affairs and breakups in marriages. Now, something interesting that I saw just blew my mind um, some months ago was some research coming out of South Korea uh, on the incredibly high suicide rate of North Koreans who defect to South Korea looking for a better life. And, and I would imagine, David, you're an immigrant yourself, that the purpose for immigration, you know, the reason that somebody would choose to do that is to look for a better life. And so why do we have these high levels of marriage breakup, of depression, of suicide, etc., amongst people who have found that better life? You know, when we arrived 21 years ago in Australia, the, one of the first things that I did was go to a shop to try and find things that tasted like home. And um, what looked as though it would taste like home uh, didn't taste the same. So one of the biggest um, or one of the first things that we look for is for anchor points when we move into a new society or community. And when those anchor points are not found, we find that uh, we actually start to tip into a form of depression uh, due to the lack of employment, the, the, the lack of support, lack of pro uh, professional accreditation. Often when we are accredited, you know, in, if, if we've got uh, employment, um, security, uh, discrimination, loss of social status, isolation, cultural shock, um, linguistics uh, challenges, English is my third language. Uh, so there, there's been enormous adaptation that takes place for an immigrant. And because they are disconnected from a support base, which normally is their family, um, where do they turn to? And this is where uh, suicide eventually becomes an option. 
Okay, so even even in situations like Korea where you've basically crossed a, an imaginary line, well, it's not an imaginary line because they've actually made a line across the, you know, the country from one side to the other, but you know, it's the same, you're the same nationality, you speak the same language, you have write the same way, you have the, well, a similar culture. Um, even in that kind of an environment where it's very, very similar, people still find it very incredibly difficult. Because they, we, we are social creatures. Uh, that's how God created us. We are creatures created to operate within um, a, a family boundaries where family plays a major role. So especially people from Africa, from, from Asia and, and those areas strongly rely on the, the family circle support uh, to help them and, and help maintain them during the Difficult times. Suddenly, uh, due to the mobility of our society and, and our world today, uh, that has been fractured. And the moment that you find yourself in um, in a country with different laws, different rules, uh, different monetary expectations, um, you and, and you don't have that family circle to draw on. Um, everything falls apart around you. Okay, so here's another example. I'll just toss this one out very quickly. Uh, my grandparents lived their entire life in Western Australia. Uh, when they retired, they looked around at Australia and like, well, you know, we can move anywhere we want. Where do we want to live in our retirement? Uh, they looked at Coffs Harbour, has the most temperate climate on the planet just about. It's lush, it's green, it's beautiful. You've got mountains behind, you've got beautiful beaches and ocean. and you know, You're just a perfect, in, uh, uh, um, I guess you should say, um, retirement environment. They moved from Perth to Coffs Harbour and didn't make it a year. Yeah. And they hated it. And you look, and you know, you and I, we drive through Coffs Harbour and it's like, how could anybody hate living here? Yeah. But they couldn't do it. And that's within the same country where, where nothing has changed except for their social uh, circle. It's interesting, Lol, that uh, research shows that people – will eventually retire uh, the majority of people here referring to to about 50 kilometers radius from where they they were born and grew up in so we oscillate back into those communities that we know so well and especially during retirement you you want that stability of an environment that you know it's quite remarkable Okay, so yeah. when we when we talk about immigrant communities, and you've been there, uh, I lived overseas for three years, and and uh, you know in the United States, which once again is a very very similar country to Australia, but you do go through some cultural shock. Uh, how do we? Okay, so how do we how do we help our immigrant? What's the most important things we can do to you know if we've got an immigrant family living next door or something like that? What, what kind of things can we do to help people in this situation? Before before I go there, um, may I just quickly just come back to marital issues? Yes. In terms of marital issues, uh, especially for people that uh, grow up and live in a more patriarchal society, where the husband has you know the, the final say, uh, moving into Australia where you've got more social mobility, there's more economical independence. 
and uh, relative higher autonomy. It is often the wife that uh, gets employment. The husband might be, you know, far better uh, trained than the wife, but he normally battles. And research shows that they hardly ever work in the industry that they've been trained up in. So in a patriarchal society, suddenly the wife is calling the shots, is um, carries the, the purse, and um, that would bring major stress about in the family. Mm. So um, the husband that normally provided for the, the wife now finds that he has to stand with his hand outstretched to ask his wife for money. Um, she is the one that in the home country had worked in the home. It was her responsibility to look after the kids and do the housework. Suddenly she's working outside and the wife now comes after a full day of work, come home and discover that the husband still expects her to work in the home. He's been at home the whole day, but it's a female job to work in the home. His, his role is to work outside. So there's major pressure on that family to change. And uh, it brings the issues of sin to the fore. You know, when sin entered our planet, uh, one of the first things that Adam and Eve uh, were doing, um, Eve, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, pointed the finger at, at the serpent. Uh, Adam pointed the finger at his wife. So we start to accuse, while in reality, both of them are impacted by exactly the same environment. Coming back to your question about how we as a, as a community can support, one of the things that stood out for, for us as a family was church people that were sensitive enough to the fact that we were immigrants and actually reached out um, and, and didn't intrude but just build friendship. Mm. Uh, and sometimes... Our neighbors might be people of different color, different language. Uh, I still speak the English language a little bit funny uh, and sometimes murder the, my tenses. But, you know, it is the, the acceptance that the community around me, and this is where my church plays a major role, where I was able to go to church, that at least was an anchor point for me. Uh, nowhere where I go in this world, I can go anywhere in this world and walk into my church denomination and find a family there mm. and find acceptance. Mm. And that anchors you. So for the community to start to help that immigrant family to rebuild anchor points. It's interesting, Lyle, that the research shows that while fracturing of relationships takes place so easily for immigrant families, that there's also the opposite that can take place. Once that family starts to gain that anchor point that anchors them and gives them solidity, what they find is that those couples that are willing to work through the adaptation into new culture have far greater communication skills that are built as well as intimacy between husband and wife and parents and children that start to be built. There's, there's a greater understanding for each other's new roles. So this can, this can then go both ways. This can actually be a very, very positive thing. Exactly, exactly. And, and this is where I believe the sin factor comes in. It's interesting uh, that Genesis 3 
uh, so, yeah, Genesis 3 verse 16, where Christ speaks to the woman as part of the curse of sin, not of the woman, but of sin. He says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. And I'm reading now out of New Living Translation that it has a better translation on this text than our old King James and New King James. It says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Here is the sin factor, a desire to rule over each other instead of as the New Testament, Jesus says, I bring a new command that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Christ love us at the point of major crisis where Jesus was just minutes away from being crucified? What did Jesus do? He became the servant. Mm. So what would happen in marital relationship for immigrants if we stop looking for a servant that, like in a home country that will work for us in our home, that we actually become the servant in our marriages for each other. Mm. And, and, and with that self-sacrificing love that Jesus had. Exactly. Yeah, these are the exactly. big challenges that I think we often don't, you know, those of us who haven't immigrated don't think about. And we do need to think about it, you know, particularly, well, uh, I, I think a lot of our, well, I know a lot of people who listen to this show are immigrants, and then we have, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show who uh, associate with immigrants. I, I don't think there's any Australians that don't associate with immigrants on at, at some point every day. It's just the, the nature yeah. of the country in which we live, and it's part of the beauty of the country in which we live, but in reality what we've got is a lot of people going through the same thing at the same time all together as they try to adjust to living in a new country. It is extremely lonely. My closest family, uh, over 10,000 kilometers away, you know, over the ocean. Uh, where do you turn to when there's sickness, when there's crisis, when there's death back home? Um, the only people that you can turn to is your immediate family. But when all of them are grieving or when they are facing a depression, which is so common for immigrant families within six to eight months, where do they turn to? Who do they rely upon? It is here where a church family that understands this and rallies and supports them is so crucial. And I think that, you know, there's probably a lot of even small things that we miss, you know, with with our immigrant families is how do they, for instance, do date night? Who's going to watch their kids? It's not like they have grandparents around that can they can uh, – you know, um, pass the kids off to an evening so they can spend some time together and get some couple time in, and and maybe this is an area where we can we can jump in and say, hey, why don't you guys go out for a date? Let's what let's uh, let let we'll watch the kids for you while you go and do some have some some time for yourself, because for a lot of us we have grandparents that are close that want to have time with the grandchildren. We have that option. Immigrant families don't. Immigrant families often come uh, from an environment or a, a family where the extended family plays a huge role in, um, you know, the training up of children and even the support in marital crisis. Suddenly they are in Australia and they've got none of that. Mm. And they have, as you say, nowhere to turn to, no time just for themselves because they are purely surviving uh, I think back at the first four or five years of, of our time in Australia, we were purely surviving. 
David, thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your story, your testimony, and highlighting some of the uh, the issues that immigrants face. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.